0: I want us to take a minute and uh, pray for our mission team that's leaving this week. Uh, that's uh, Will Stacy, Sammy Weaver, Sean Willis, uh, Dennis Mulkey, and David Luce. Uh, they're going to McAllen and Hidalgo, that kind of area. And uh, so if you're just around one of those guys, maybe just put an arm on them and let me pray uh, over them real fast, if you don't mind. God, we thank you for... Uh, these men and just what they're going to do. We pray for the ministries that they're going to be a part of and the people they're going to interact with. God, I I thank you that you've worked in their life, God, and you uh, have moved them to the place where they're going out and sharing the good news of the gospel with others. God, I pray that you would just open their mouths, give them boldness, give them strength and energy for this week. God, we pray that you'd keep them safe and bring them back to us uh, to continue that work here in Huntington. Uh, so we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Hey, no matter where you are or uh, what, you, what you do or where you live, um, almost all of us, to a person, come to a point in life uh, where we begin to ask a lot of questions. We ask a lot of questions about life. We're looking for meaning, looking for purpose, looking for something to fix what is broken. Some of us, that happens when we go through hard times. Somebody dies. Things there's tragedy around us, and it sparks this these questions and this this quest within us. Um, maybe maybe it's because we're questioning why bad things happen, or just wondering how can we fix what is so broken. But for some people, it happens when times are really good. For some people, it happens when when everything is very successful and things are going well, and it leaves you a bit empty. Maybe you've had success, maybe you've achieved a lot, but you've gotten to a point where you go, this doesn't quite fill me up like I thought it would. We all, I think, get to this point in our life where we encounter this sense of emptiness or hopelessness, and we respond in different ways. We're all different, and some of us respond in, in very positive ways, and some of us respond in negative ways. We start looking for fulfillment and satisfaction or salvation in something else. This is true whether you're a Christian or not. Now, where do we look for this? Sometimes we look for it in success. We think that if we can just achieve something, if we can just get enough money or respect or accomplishment, then that will fulfill me. Some people, it's substances. We think if we can just have enough uh, of this food or drink or, or, or drugs or some sort of experience, then, then that will satisfy me. For some, it's politics. It's some political party or some ideology that we think, man, that's, that's the answer. That's going to fix what's broken and what's empty and what's missing in my life. And for some people they turn to religion. They turn to rules and traditions and regulations and they try to keep all those rules to satisfy or to try to fix what's broken inside of them. But every single one of these falls short. If you've tried them, you know it. Every single one of these, success, substances, politics, religion, whatever, it falls short. It doesn't fulfill us. Why? Because it's not ultimate. And the need and the emptiness that we all experience in our lives is an ultimate problem. It's not an earthly, temporary problem. And if we try to fill that ultimate hole with something temporary, it doesn't put a dent in it. It's like a bead of silicone against a rushing river. It's like a, it's like a band-aid against cancer. It doesn't fix it. Only something ultimate can fill an ultimate hole. Only something ultimate can fill an ultimate desire. Only something ultimate can save something that is ultimately broken. And so today we come on Easter to celebrate the resurrection. And we're going to talk about what the Christian message is. And the Christian message is this, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that something that fills that ultimate hole. It is good news. It is the answer to what is broken and what is messed up in our world. It's what all of us are searching for. It is the satisfaction and the hope that we all look for. So, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15 today, and we're going to read verse 1 through 19. And I love this passage because Paul puts the resurrection at the the center point of the Christian claim on reality, and he bases everything on this. And so I want to talk about two things today, basically. If the resurrection is true, then why is that good news? And then second, I want to talk about if the resurrection is not true, because Paul's going to address that, if we're wrong... If we've all missed it in this room this morning, then how is that bad news for us? So let's read it together. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Let me pray this morning. God, I thank you for the good news of the resurrection. But God, I thank you for Paul's honesty. I thank you for his honesty and his recognition that if if you really did not rise from the dead, if you did not really accomplish all that we claim you accomplished, God, then what we are doing today is in vain. It is futile. It is without power and without purpose and without meaning. God, God, but we come together not because we believe that the resurrection is not true, but we come together as those who believe that the resurrection is true. And so we believe that our faith is not in vain. We believe that we are not in our sins anymore, and we believe that it is not futile. God, we are not to be pitied this morning, God, because Jesus Christ is alive. And I pray this morning for those in the room that that maybe have forgotten that, maybe have never heard that before, God, I pray that they would find the answer that they're looking for. They would find the hope that they're looking for. They would find the salvation that they so desperately need, and they would find it in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for this morning. I pray that you'd help us to understand this. I pray that it makes sense. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so Paul starts out, 1 Corinthians 15. And he starts out and he addresses the good, the positive side. He addresses the good news of the resurrection. And basically, he's saying, right, if if this really is true, then this is good news, is what he says in verse 1. He says, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Right? Gospel means good news. And so he wants to be very clear up front that this is the good news of Christianity, this is the, the message that we proclaim that is good. Now, I like how he says, he says, I would remind you, brothers, right? Remind. Uh, why do we need to be reminded? Why do you and I need to be reminded, right? There's a lot of reasons we could point out. Um, here's a few we quickly forget. <laughs> Duh. That's why we need to be reminded. We get so caught up with life and everything else that's going on that we forget what the key thing is here about Christianity. We can get so distracted by all the other stuff and all the other, I feel that this morning, right? There's a lot of other stuff going on. But, I, but we're here to remind ourselves of this. That's why we gather every year. That's why we gather every week to remind ourselves because we so easily forget. We also get desensitized. Right? We, we can become desensitized to this message, maybe because we're so familiar with it, or maybe because we're not familiar with it at all. But we, we hear so many claims in the world today of this is the answer, this is the good news, this is the hope, this is what will fix us, this is what will solve all of our problems. We can get so desensitized to these claims. Some of us, we get consumed <laughs> By something else or someone else or or some venture in life. And we forget what this is all about. And I think ultimately it comes down to the fact that we are programmed to be inclined to what's right in front of us. To the immediate, not the ultimate. And so Paul is reminding them and he's reminding us of this good news because we forget. And he says, I remind you brothers of the good news, the gospel I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. So what he's saying is is that that this good news was passed on to him, and now he's passing it on to the Corinthians, and it passes on to us year after year, month after month, week after week. And he says that this gospel that he's proclaiming has the ability to save us. He's making a huge claim. He's making a, a massive worldview claim that's, that's, exclusive and ultimate, this is what can save you, the good news of the resurrection. And he's saying that our old life, our our previous life where we were filled with sin and, and, and rage against God and what was ultimate and what was good, he says that old life can be gone, it can be forgiven, and you can be resurrected and be given a new life. I love the picture of baptism this morning for that reason, Right? Because it's a picture of that, that the old person is dead and the new person is raised. This is good news, Christians. We don't die without hope. We die with hope knowing that there is something more than this. But I love how Paul recognizes not everybody receives this good news as true. Some people go through a day like today, Easter, and it's, you know, it's awesome, right? It's great family time, it's eggs and it's ham or whatever your weird East Texas food tradition is at Easter, like chicken and dumplings or something, whatever, I don't know, people eat all kinds of stuff. And some people it's that, and it's nothing to do with the gospel, and some of us this is purely a reminder of the good news, but there's a, re- there's a reality, that there is a dividing line, and we are going to respond to this. He says basically there's two responses. Here's what he says. He says some people hold fast to the word. Some people hear the gospel and believe. They hear it and they believe. And their lives are changed and they hold fast to the word. They bear fruit in the word. They, they, they submit their lives to the word. They spread the word, right? They find their purpose and their meaning and, and everything that is missing in their life. They find it in God's word. But he also acknowledges not everybody is that way. He says some, is what he says, unless you believed in vain. He recognizes that some of the people that he's writing to believed in vain. Some people hear this message and they reject this message altogether. And it's for all kinds of different reasons. Some, I think, they do not want God to exist. And so they just reject it from a purely, I I, I don't want you to exist. I hate you, God, even though you don't exist, right? Some is that. Some people reject it for really rational reasons in their mind. They can't fathom that somebody could come from dead to alive. They can't fathom miracles because it doesn't fit in their scientific, rational worldview. Some reject it because they don't want to be changed, (laughs) They like the life they're living. <laughs> they don't want to move on to something new. They don't want to have an old and a new. People reject the gospel for all sorts of reasons. And some people, as Jesus taught us, some people believe and for a short time, man, it wells up. And there's joy and there's excitement. And, man, there's passion and they, they, they spring to life. But just as quickly as they sprung, they die, right? Some people... I think in those instances, they need to be reminded. They've forgotten the claim. And that's why Paul says this. Now, he says this in verse three. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And he's going to go into what Jesus did, right? He calls this the first important, it's primary, it's essential, right? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is essential. It is the most essential thing that we believe. And there's a lot of other stuff that goes on here in church. There's a lot of other beliefs and doctrines and that sort of stuff. But let's don't veer from that this morning. Let's stay right here in the center. Now what Paul does next, I love, right? He starts to give evidence for why this is good news. He's going to give some evidence for the resurrection. So the first piece. The first piece of evidence that he gives, this is going to be in verse three, is the accuracy of the Old Testament prophecies. The accuracy of the Old Testament prophecies. Here is what he says in verse three and four. He says that, "For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins. Here it is in accordance with the Scriptures that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures." Now, what does he mean in accordance with the scriptures? What's he referring to? He's referring to the Old Testament. He's saying that that what happened when Jesus died and was buried was predicted, was prophesied. Now, for some of you you go, I mean, like, really? That doesn't make any sense. But this is a huge claim. We read it on Friday night from Isaiah 53, if you were here. All of the prophecies about Jesus going to the cross... 600 years before it happened like I can't tell you what I'm going to eat for lunch tomorrow right I can't predict what my kids going to do with the rest of his life I can't tell you anything about anything in the future I got zero confidence about the future and Jesus Christ was predicted to be crucified buried and resurrected hundreds of years before that is no small thing Right? We think when people make claims about the future, when people prophesy, oh, this is going to be the last day of the earth, what do we do? We write them off as crazy, right? But when, it, when people predict things and it actually becomes true, what we believe about them is that they've tapped into some sort of knowledge. And Jesus Christ was killed, buried, and resurrected in accordance with the scriptures. There are dozens and dozens of prophecies that he fulfilled. This is a big piece of evidence. For some of you, it doesn't mean a lot. You just go, eh, I mean, it's possible. They could have, this could have just been circumstance or by chance this just happened. But this is a very important piece of evidence. It's not the only one. Paul's going to give it to others. Here's what he says. The second piece of evidence for the resurrection are 500 plus eyewitnesses to the risen Lord. Look at verse 5. So he, he makes the audacious claim that Jesus was raised from the dead. But then he says, verse 5, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Right? He makes this claim that there are 500 plus that saw him in one instance. You got the road, road to Emmaus. Those two guys. You got all twelve disciples. You got all of these appearances. Now, I think what people are do. People do that have this rational mind, and, and, and to, in order to get rid of this eyewitness testimony, they say, "Ah, uh-huh. they were just hallucinating. They were all on some something that day. They wanted it to be true, but there are." dozens of sightings, dozens of eyewitnesses that see Jesus Christ after he was crucified. Now if we were in a court of law today and, uh, and the prosecuting attorney brought uh, let's say three. Let's say he brought three witnesses to the stand and let's say those three witnesses gave a very similar story about what they saw happen. Let's just say it matched. Pretty good. Not perfect, but pretty good. If you were the jury today in a courtroom in the United States, and there were three eyewitnesses that saw an event, and there was some physical evidence, it would be case closed like that. No doubt, three eyewitnesses. If there were two, the chances are super high. If there's one, we can doubt his testimony. Guys, there's 500, there's there's dozens of appearances. Right? This is not some hallucination. This is not some we want this to be true. There is hard evidence. And what Paul is saying, he says some of them have fallen asleep, meaning some of them have died. But he's saying there's hundreds of these people that you can go talk to today. Right? Now we, we don't have the luxury of that when we read this. We don't have that. But when he's writing this, he's putting his life on the line writing this, he's saying you can go find these people You can can talk to people today that saw the risen Lord. And then he says, I was also one of them, right? This is no delusion. This is no conspiracy of the people. This is no hallucination. This is hard evidence of eyewitness accounts. The third key piece of evidence that Paul lays out is Paul's radical life change. Look at verse 8. He says, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me for i am the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god but by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace toward me was not in vain now paul lays out this he says that he also is an eyewitness this happens years later but let's remember the story paul is a best way we can describe it he is a jewish terrorist this is what he does. He is so passionate for Judaism that he is terrorizing people who are against Judaism, which at this time is who? The Christians who claim that Jesus is the Christ. He's so passionate for his, his religion and for his belief that he takes up arms and he goes and gets permission from authorities to round up Christians and kill them. Let's not wipe over that quickly. He is passionate about his belief, and he tells us that on the road to Damascus one day, as he's going to round up Christians and kill them, none of you are that passionate this morning about this, that you would go and kill people for your faith. Paul is way beyond us, and he says that on that day he saw the risen Lord, and other people witnessed it too, and he was blinded, Now, here's the point, and here's the piece of evidence. His life was completely turned around. He went from a Jewish terrorist to a Christian missionary and church planner. Nobody makes that sort of change if they don't believe it to be true. We are are so hard-headed. I can't convince you of anything. I can't change your opinion on something small, let alone something huge, and Paul goes from the most radical of Jewish leaders to the most humble of Christian servants. This is a very key piece of evidence that the resurrection is true. Paul really believed that he saw the risen Lord with his eyes so much so that he, saved, he gave up his old life. Now listen, think about this. His old life was one of power and prestige. He, he's on top. He gets to kill people. Right? He doesn't, and then he moves to what? He moves to the side of people that are being killed, people that are being persecuted for their faith. It might make sense for him to move from this side to this side because there's some power, there's some authority with it, but he moves from from the powerful and the elite down to the humble and the broken. Why would he do that unless he really believed this stands in line with so many of the other things that we could talk about with the resurrection. That, that all 12 of these apostles gave their life as a martyr for this. They so believed it to be true that they were willing to die for it, not kill for it, to die for it. People don't die for a lie that they made up, people don't die for a hallucination or a conspiracy theory. Not 12 men. Not all together telling the same story, putting it out publicly, proclaiming it publicly. These are not things that are being done behind closed doors. These 12 men really believe that they saw the risen Lord with their own eyes and they gave their lives for it. These are three very important pieces of evidence this morning. And we as Christians should take great confidence this morning that even though this seems crazy in our modern day, that a man was dead for three days and came back to life, we have a very good reason to believe that it really did happen. Now, i got to go fast. He addresses quickly, what if we're wrong? What if we as Christians are wrong? If the resurre- resurrection isn't true, how is that bad news for us? He, he lays it out, and he says, I'm not going to read it all, but he says, if you, if you say there is no resurrection, what does that mean? And he lays out a number of things. Here's what he says. You, he says, if there is no resurrection, then here's the things that, that aren't true, that are true. Christ did not rise. If there is no resurrection, Christ didn't rise. If, if, if there is no resurrection, then our preaching is totally in vain. There is, what does vain mean? It means um, empty, like meaningless, it means like without power, without purpose. He says, Our preaching is in vain. He says, Your faith is in vain. Right? All of this, all this stuff, <laughs> this weekly gathering, this church thing, he says, It's in vain, it's meaningless. It makes no sense if Christ didn't rise. He says, if Christ, if there is no resurrection, then we are liars. We're misrepresenting God. If there is no resurrection, then our faith is futile and you are still in your sins, verse 17. Verse 18, he says that if if Christ, there is no resurrection, then those who have died are good and dead and there is nothing else. He says, those who are dead have perished. There is no hope. There is no eternal life. There is no anything, right? It's just over. It's empty. And he says, lastly, if there is no resurrection, then we are most to be pitied. We are the most pitiful people on the face of the earth if there is no resurrection. Right? Gathering this morning to sing some psalms, that's pitiful if there is no resurrection. Bowing our heads and praying, that's pitiful if there is no resurrection. Like sitting and listening to me talk for 30 minutes is pitiful. When you could be at the lake or hunting Easter eggs right now, that's pitiful if there is no resurrection. He says, these things are true. This is bad, bad news. And then we're not going to keep going to the text and see what he says, the, the good side of this. But I want us to think about the opposite. Because if he lays this out, then the opposite is true. Right. So if there is resurrection, if, if that's true, then all of these are flipped on their heads. So let's look at it. Let's look at number four. What are the results of the resurrection? If there is resurrection, it means, number one, that Christ did raise from the dead. If there is resurrection, then Christ did raise. It means that our preaching, the preaching of the word, is not in vain. It is full. It's full of meaning and full of purpose and full of content and full of life, right? Because we believe that it's really true. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. What we're doing here matters and what, we're, what our relationship with God matters, right? We're not liars. Now we're truth tellers. We're telling the truth about what is really true about reality, about this life, We're not pandering conspiracy theories and and out there uh, talking about the latest. No, we're truth tellers. If there is resurrection, then our faith is not futile. It is powerful. It is full of power. And we are not in our sins anymore. If there is a resurrection, then you and I can be forgiven of our sin and our past. If there is a resurrection, then those who have died are asleep, but they will rise again with Christ one day. And they will be with God forever, you and I included. And if there is a resurrection, then we have hope. We are not pitiful. We are not those who need pity. We are those who need to give pity to the world who does not know Christ, right? I hope that as we read this text today... As you think about this evidence, as you think about the claims of Jesus Christ rising from the dead, as you think about what that means to be good news, Christians, I hope it gives us confidence on a day like today. It gives us confidence that what we believe is not based in some conspiracy or some elaborate scheme or some manufactured lie, but this is based in historical facts. It's based in revealed prophecy and then fulfilled prophecy. We can have confidence today because we have good reason that this is good news. We can be forgiven. We can live life forever with God. We have hope and meaning and purpose. Now, if you don't believe in here this morning, maybe you're just here with family, maybe you're just here because it's Easter, I don't know. You, you don't really know what to think. Maybe you've, you've gone back and forth on it. My hope is today that you would give this a serious intellectual thought. You would think honestly about this. 500 eyewitnesses, radical life change, martyrs for the faith, a church that exploded in growth in the face of persecution. So many reasons to believe. Like, what well, you've got to do something with that. You've got to do something with the fact that these people said this happened. And you've got to do something with the fact that, that this is... By all Christians, is claimed to be our only hope. And maybe today, if you don't believe you're in here and you, you feel that emptiness, you feel that void, you feel that meaninglessness, and you've tried all kinds of different things to fulfill that or fix you or satisfy, and I hope you would consider this today. What if I'm wrong? What if I missed it? And what if these people got it right? What if the resurrection really is true? I hope you would give that an honest thought today. Now, Christians, I hope today that we would celebrate. We don't need pity. (laughs) We don't need someone to look down on us at what we're doing. We, we of all people, are the least to be pitied on a day like today because Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. At the end of this passage, what he says, I want to read it. And he talks about resurrection, and I wanted to cover the whole chapter, but I knew I didn't have time. But here's what he says in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is in vain. It's not in vain. What we are doing and what we're trying to do to reach our community for Christ is not in vain, because Jesus Christ is alive. So be steadfast. Be immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord let me pray God I thank you for this morning and I thank you for your grace God God that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place God, but that's not the end of the story God he came back to life to prove that he has power over all things he has authority over all things and so I thank you for that good news this morning that we who are in Christ will too one day be resurrected. It's partially true today for those of us that have been saved. We've been brought from the old to the new. God, And one day we'll experience that to the full as we celebrate forever at the wedding supper of the Lamb, God. God, I pray this morning, God, that you would just give us confidence. I pray for those in the room this morning that don't know you who have a sense of emptiness, a sense of hopelessness, a sense of questioning in their hearts. God, I pray that they would seriously think about this, that they would, they would consider and ponder the claims of Christianity, that, that all of us have fallen short And we've all tried all kinds of ways to get our way back to you, God. But the only way that works, the only way that is not in vain or futile is through Jesus Christ. I pray that they would give that an honest thought. God, I pray that they would turn their hearts to you and they would believe. God, I pray that you'd give some faith today. So we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.